welcome everyone to another episode of Cinema Wheeler Tay. It's uh, Tony, Scott, and Sean like, once again. And we're joined by a very special guest today. Uh, he's actually one of the funniest people I know in Columbus. And he's been in improv troops such as See a Thursday and Idiot Box and various other projects. And he's one of our favorite people, uh, Josh Greenwald. Hey, Josh. Hey. How you doing? Th- hey. Thanks for having me. Um, <laughs> really pressured to be funny. Now. I know, yeah. I, that's what I like to do is set people up and have them deliver it's on like the second coming of Jesus Christ, Josh Greenwald. That's yeah. right. <laughs> also a Jew. Yeah. He said he's, he's a JG. Yeah. Instead of Jesus. That's right. <laughs> don't be called, he'll be called Greenway. Green mist. <laughs> green mist. What would Greenwald do? What would Greenwald do? Yeah, Easter would be interesting at that point. It would too, be. Though. That means you have to die and come back for 40 days. Yeah. It's fine, you know. Unless you're going to make a new mythos that's more interesting or. Probably. <laughs> Speaking of mythos, that's a fine segue into the movie we're going to discuss today. It's kind of obscure, very few people have heard of it. It's little gem from 1977 called Star Wars. A New Hope. A New Hope, mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. Now, <laughs> when I was growing up, there wasn't A New Hope as a subtitle for this movie. I think it was just Star really? Wars. Yeah. I think they added that later on when they started making them episodes, you know, when they would break them through. But uh, that is the movie we're discussing today. And uh, this is a big year uh, for Star Wars in general because it's mm-hmm. coming back in a big way. Uh, so it's a good time to return to the original, the one that started it all. Yeah, we're recording this in 1999. We yes, we are. We are. <laughs> we have nothing. Right. <laughs> I can't wait to see this movie, guys. <laughs> nice. uh, you know, the track record's great so far. I don't think it's going to disappoint. There's no way. That this yeah. is be... How can you screw up Star Wars? No, you can't. You know, Lucas is, is fail-safe as far as mm-hmm. I'm concerned. So, um, yeah, we're going to go through and talk about, like, Observation. Some of us here have, have been long-time, lifetime, you know, lifelong fans, and some of us, I think, have just been introduced to the franchise. So that would be me. Yes, Tony. Yeah. So What's they'll be. The name? What is the name for Star Wars fans? Like long-term? Is there a name? No. no. I, don't, I don't think. You stumped us. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's not. There's no Trekkie for Star Wars. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Yeah. Okay. It would be Worries, maybe, you know, would be the... No, they don't really have a name. I guess Star Trek obviously co-opted, you know, as far as names for fans, I guess. Rational human beings. (laughs) Well, the the mass appeal of Star Wars is much greater than Star Trek. It is. There's a really big learning barrier to get into Star Trek. Mm -hmm. And, you know, J.J. Abrams really did a good job with the newer movies, Mm -hmm. sort of breaking that down. So I have a feeling, and I know we, you know, we're talking about a new hope and not the Force Awakens, but I have a feeling that he's going to sort of reintroduce things for people in the new movie coming up. Mm-hmm. Now, what do you mean by that, Josh? I'm a little ignorant to Star Wars and even Star Trek. I mean, yeah. I mean, I know that my dad um, is a huge Star Trek fan, so I grew up watching the what is it, the Next Generation on TV. Yeah. I didn't really like it or understand it per se. Um, so what do you mean by there's like an intelligence level or... I, I wouldn't say intelligence, okay. but you, there's there are different levels where you can sort of appreciate Star Wars. Like, you don't have to really understand the political atmosphere of the Empire and the Senate and all that to really enjoy the Star Wars movies. But except with, in the prequels. Except in the prequels. <laughs> then you're just, that's all you have to like. There's nothing, nothing else 
Guys, don't discount Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> yeah, he's a political figure. He actually is a political figure. I think he's like a senator or something. He does. He becomes a representative of some kind. But, you know, Star Trek, it's it, there's just a lot. It's all politics. I mean, it's yeah. just like the UN in space. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of history in you know behind everything. And, and there are like lots of different species and... I mean, there there is that in Star Wars, but it, it's way more accessible, I think. It's more mainstream, would you say? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't... When there's a new Star Trek movie coming out, you don't go into the grocery store, and they don't have, like, Captain Kirk cookies and... That would be mm-hmm. excellent, you know, though, if they did. <laughs> yeah. I imagine they would be, like, uh, sugar cookies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's funny because uh, I know that I think those factions have become... At opposed to each other at times, like Star Trek and Star Wars, like they they definitely feud. In fact, I know that in a joking sort of way, but William Shatner actually trolls Star Wars fans. He like any time a Star Wars movie comes out, he goes, "Star Wars lacks the character and gravitas of Star Trek," and he does it to be, you know, glib, obviously. Yeah. And I guess interesting <laughs> <laughs> word yeah, choice. Yeah, right? word's been <laughs> coming up a lot lately. Yeah, it has. It has. It's 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 in the it's in the water. Um, but yeah, um, I'm a, to be honest with you, I'm a big fan of Star Wars, and while I certainly like and respect Star Trek, I certainly enjoy it, Star Wars is sort of special to me because, uh, I was born in 1977, it was the Mm. exact same year that the movie came out, so I'm probably like at the end, tail end of that first generation, that first wave of fans, uh, so I grew up with Star Wars being very prominent and I didn't question whether it was a movie or not. I was just it was Star Wars. I had all the toys. Yeah. yeah. It was just part of the DNA when I was growing up and that's something I loved. And I had all the action figures. Um I think I don't remember the, the specific first time I ever watched the movie, but I know that I watched the first film a lot on HBO because uh this was my parents had HBO early on. It was when they had that big epic opening yes. where the logo would yes. float in yeah. front of the houses, which I think they need to break. Office. Yes. yes. Uh-huh. It was kind of ominous, yeah. and I kind of wish they yeah. brought that back. <laughs> I know. I wish they'd bring back Tales from the Crypt, too, but that's another podcast. Yeah, that's... Yeah. Uh, well, still, there are still comics. Yeah. <laughs> there are. There are. But uh, it was on HBO frequently as a kid, and every time it was on, we would stop whatever we were doing and watch it. My parents mm-hmm. were fans of the movies, too. Like They, they really loved the first film. Uh, and all of them, all the original trilogy. And um, so this is a movie that was constantly on. It was along with the Muppets. Those were like the two big yeah. things when I was a kid, the Muppets and Star Wars. Now, Sean, mm-hmm. if you were born in 1997 and this movie was released in 1977, does that make Darth Vader your father? It, it does, especially since I was born in 1997. At that point, he made it dead. But he would be back as a child oh in two gosh. years. I didn't even realize but, I said that. No, that's funny though. That's that's cool. 97 was a good year. It was a fantastic year. Hanson came out that year. Yeah. I vividly remember. Yeah, I was in college in Kent at that point. So I was in sixth grade, I think. Oh wow. Yeah. Jamming out to the Spice Girls and Hanson and still hanging on to JTT even though he was kind of phasing out. Yeah, yeah, Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a good time. <laughs> I wonder if he likes Star Wars. I bet he does. I'd imagine. I mean, I, I think it's harder <laughs> to find somebody who doesn't 
By the end of this podcast, we'll figure it out if JTT. Uh, start Googling that now. I need to know. Right. If anybody has the answer to that question, if Jonathan Taylor Thomas is a Star Wars fanatic, we can probably reach him pretty easily. Yeah, I know. He's my janitor. I feel like his favorite character would be Luke. He seems like a Luke kind of guy. What do you think? Hmm. I, don't, I don't really. I don't know if I could probe such depth of psychology <laughs> with Jonathan Taylor Thomas and who he would support. Um, well, I was going to get back, uh, Josh. Uh, what was the first time you had heard or seen Star Wars? So interestingly enough, um, so I was born in '79. So I was also born into Star Wars always being there. But interestingly enough, I saw Empire before any of them, and the reason for that is mainly because my older brother he you know he's eight years older than me so whatever sort of movies or whatever we had having to do anything with sci-fi because my parents they're not sci-fi people at all uh it was because of him so we had empire on vhs or beta probably beta oh Um, i remember those yeah i mean the the, you know the the picture quality was actually much much better and i mean it did so you know that's another podcast the format wars (laughs) <laughs> but um, so I actually didn't see Empire, or sorry, I didn't see the original Star Wars probably until I was like eight. Um, but you know, I'd grown up seeing Empire, and actually, for that matter, Return of the Jedi, I saw that quite a lot before I saw the original Star Wars. So when I saw the original Star Wars, I was kind of like underwhelmed, because um, you know, compared to Empire, it's just not. You know, even when you're little, you can just tell, like, there's so much drama in it yeah. and so many layers to it. And, you know, A New Hope is, you know, it's a good movie, and obviously it kicked everything off. But it just doesn't have the same, I don't know, it's, there's just something about it. You know, maybe maybe it's just, it's because it's not the first one I saw. Sure. I don't right. know. I'm not sure. I think the toy line, yeah, I think the toy line that I had for uh, with Star Wars, the original toys that I had were from the Empire lineup because I think they were all the characters from Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. But I think the first movie I saw was A New Hope because of that. So, Tony, it's kind of interesting because you're new to this. I'm like, a new Star wars mm-hmm. Yeah. Star wars Right. Uh, so what was your first impression of it before you saw the movie? What was the first time you had heard of it or what was your awareness of it or your preconceived um, ideas? Well, I was born in 1985. And my, like, my dad was a huge Star Trek fan. I don't really, really remember him that much liking Star Wars or watching it that much. I think he likes it. I'm sure he does. But, you know, and I have three, I have two older sisters, and it's all girls. So I didn't really grow up watching it. You know, we watched other things. Um, and I remember my dad would watch Star Trek on TV, and he liked The Twilight Zone as well. So I would watch those with him. But I knew about it just from being a human and pop culture and living in society, I knew about Star Wars, and I knew the characters' names. Like, even before I saw the films, I could name pretty much all the characters, even from the newer installments in the 90s, Um, and I knew the general theme of it, but I had never actually seen the movies. I kind of felt like it was something I wouldn't really like. I know that sounds kind of snobbish, but I just felt like, I don't know, you know, you just think you won't like it. Mm -hmm. You know, because I'm not into, like, computers. I'm not into, like, robots and things of that nature, like, just looking at it on the surface from, like, a retail perspective, what you see in the stores, I just was like, well, yeah. I don't know if I'm going to get this or really like it, but then, um, I watched the first film, what was it, a month ago, maybe? Yeah. And I really enjoyed it a lot. I thought it was great. It was strong characters, good characters, I really liked the storyline, 
Um, I, I saw the second film. I'm halfway through the third one um, of the original series, the original trilogy. Um, but I really like them a lot. I think they're they're just really well done. And, and in a funny way, I feel like maybe it's fate or maybe it's good that I waited until this long in my life to, to watch them because I may not have appreciated it or liked it when I was younger. Mm-hmm. You know, how that yeah. happens. It, so. it, it's interesting. Like, I just watched A New Hope again today, and I probably watch it maybe once a year. Mm-hmm. And every single time I watch it, there's, like, something new I appreciate about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I love... I, you know, as the podcast um, listeners might know by now, I love strong female characters, so I loved Princess Leia immediately. And to think that a strong female lead was present back in 1977 and throughout the first trilogy, that really excites me. It's fun. That that brings that sort of feminine element to everything that's going on, even though she is very strong and she ends up becoming, what is it, General Leia? <laughs> yeah. Instead of Princess Leia, that's okay. Mm-hmm. We're on board with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but... Um, you know, just being a female, I really enjoyed that. Had Princess Leia not been in the films, honestly, I may not have enjoyed it as much. I know that sounds strange, but... Because I also like the romance yeah. between her and Han Solo. And sometimes know. Luke. <laughs> yes. Well, that was That's, a little weird. We'll touch that topic. She didn't know, okay? She didn't know. <laughs> I agree with you with Leia, because I think Leia is a great character. And I, I, I think Lucas deserves more credit for that, that he kind of created a really strong female character that wasn't reliant on the men to mm-hmm. save her. Even though they actually yeah. do save her in the film, mm-hmm. she's the one who really takes charge once yeah. she's free and gets them out of there. She's yeah. a true leader. Yeah, she really is. Even in the New Hope, when she makes that, um, for lack of a better word, videogram, if you will, that she puts in R2-D2, I mean, she didn't even know them. And she was taking that initiative to try and seek help, to try and save her mm-hmm. um, planet. And, you know, I think that's great. How lucky were they that they were right by Tatooine? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is a coincidence? You know? They just happened to was be that, there. Was that was on that purpose? What it's called? Yeah, that's where Luke's Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, she said they were going to Alderaan. But, I mean, they never really said in the movie where they were really going. Mm-hmm. But I don't think she was going to talk to him. No, yeah. she wanted Obi-Wan Kenobi, remember? She was saying Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah, yeah. she wanted him specifically. But yeah. what he's saying is, that how did he know that he was on Tatooine? You know, because... Oh, he, I see. It's such a coincidence that the ship, oh, was, the ship right was right next there. to yeah. Tatooine. And, sure. of course, that's the... The yeah. basis of the whole trilogy well, is getting there. Well, that's just the magic of cinema. Yeah. It's it, be, it has to be that easy otherwise. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm saying, I don't think she was, like, flying to see him. I think, mm-hmm. I mean, she just knew she was going to be captured. And she's yeah. like, well, okay, he's the only person I know who can possibly help mm-hmm. in this situation. I think yeah. she was just being resourceful and putting that in the, yeah. the droid in hopes that somebody would find it to tell Obi-Wan Kenobi, which is what happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe the Force was dictating terms because she does have the Force. She does. That's true. Yeah. But you never see her use it or yeah. she's never trained on it. But, yeah. But she definitely... Not yet. I mean, Well, oh. let me tell you, a woman's intuition is its own Force to be yeah. reckoned with. Yeah. yeah. I have those, like, in the trilogy in general, like, Leia doesn't seem that interested in the Force at all. Even no. though, after, even after Luke tells her she has the Force, she's like, okay. All right, that's cool. Because <laughs> she's done pretty well without it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a princess. Well, and I think, I think too, she probably doesn't want to be a Jedi, mm-hmm. so having that in mind, you're not as apt to really wanting to hone the Force if you realize you don't want that life, you don't want to be a Jedi, so I think it's kind of like, oh, hey, that's a nice bonus, but yeah. I'm not really going to take mm-hmm. advantage of it. She's like, I want right. to marry this hunk of meat yeah. over here, I don't want <laughs> that's to right. a Jedi. Who was clearly anti-Force in the beginning, yeah. at least, you know, mm-hmm. definitely the atheist of the, the trilogy, <laughs> Han Solo, who 
is, I think, one of the greatest cinematic characters oh, of yeah. all time. Uh, and, and then Harrison Ford is amazing. He's an icon. Mm-hmm. And they uh, all are. I mean, all they all are, are right? I mean, they're all such great, specifically tailored archetypes, you know. Yeah. And and more people I've I've realized, you know, when you look at Luke and Han, like they're probably tied for me as my two favorite characters in the movie because those are my childhood heroes, mm-hmm. especially Luke. But I've realized that a lot more people seem to be drawn to Han over Luke mm-hmm. as their hero, and I think it's because Han. Is edgy and he's cynical. He's and ed- cool. He's got that cool factor. It's yeah. like Fonzie mm-hmm. and Richie Cunningham. That's exactly what it's like. Oh, you're, that's it's a like great Fonzie comparison. Yeah. Who do you like more? Who does everybody like more? Yeah. But who do they want to marry? And that makes Tom po- Tom Bosley <laughs> Darth Vader in this comparison. <laughs> so <laughs> that would have been great, Cass. <laughs> I would love to see that. Who's the chef? <laughs> Arnold. Oh, he's he's got to be like C three PO. I guess yeah. that makes I guess that that would make uh, Princess Leia Joni. Yeah, that would that <laughs> would be yeah. that would. Yeah, this is probably the first to come up with this crossover. I know. <laughs> I want this Happy Day Star Wars crossover. That's my childhood in a nutshell. There. Or Ron Howard could direct it. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. that's what it made me think of because you know Han has that edge, that cool factor where boys want to be him. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They do. And I think Harrison Ford is, like, there's mm-hmm. few talents like Harrison Ford, because I, I, there are a lot of actors that try to be cool, like, and it's just natural with him. And I think there's a lot more layers to Harrison Ford. Mm-hmm. Like, he's a really entertaining, really genuinely funny actor. I mean, his line delivery, he always bats lines out of the park. I mean, he, nobody embodies sarcasm and cynicism like Harrison Ford, I think. And I think, too, um, that th- I think this is, this can, this is, can be said for both male and female. Harrison Ford is a good-looking guy, but he's not overly good-looking. He's not right. the pretty boy. He's kind of rough and rugged. So that really attracts females, and it's also very um, attainable and relatable to real to real men. Because most real men aren't models. You know, most real women aren't models. People just typically Speak for yourself. <laughs> over here. But do you know what I mean? And same with Princess Leia. She's, you know, Carrie Fisher's very attractive and pretty, but it isn't like Cindy Crawford was playing her. Where it's yeah. almost unattainable, um, and I think that has a lot of appeal to all of the all three of those characters because, you know, they're good looking in their own rights, and they have their own special um, qualities and traits that we like about them, and they're very relatable. Let's, yeah. let's face it, Alex Guinness was probably the hottest guy. Oh yeah, <laughs> for sure, by far. There's no doubt when he came out in that row of the girls' pants dropped. <laughs> well, I, I think the, the the obese pilot at the end of the movie is the, the oh, yeah. good looking. What about Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I, I agree with you. Like, I think like the three leads are relatable leads. Like, yeah. they aren't your obvious choices. Yeah. Uh, I think the mistakes that other movies have made that are trying to be Star Wars is that they always look for the best looking people mm-hmm. in the world. They're glamorous. They're mm-hmm. they're refined. And I think that takes away a lot of the character and personality yeah. of a movie when, when you cast yeah, that. You know, and with the new one, too. I mean, it's, I think they followed the same sort of, you know, it, with, with Rey. I mean, it's, she's she looks a lot like Leia. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, I, I mean, Finn, same sort of thing. He's like, you know, sort of the same Harrison Ford type thing where he's a good-looking dude, but mm-hmm. he's not like, you know, they didn't use, like, young seal or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And Oscar Isaac certainly fits into that Harrison Ford model, too. Oh, yeah. Because he's a great actor, and he's he's definitely, you know, has the look for cinema, but he's not, like, overly good-looking. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, when The New Hope was cast, 
the three leads were essentially really unknown at the time, right? Were well, they not? I mean, yeah. everybody knows that Carrie Fisher is um, she was like nineteen daughter. But, I mean, on the whole, they were relatively unknown. Yeah. Uh, some of them were right? completely unknown. Like, yeah. Har- Harrison Ford had a small role in American Graffiti, which was also directed by George Lucas. Like, he was, like, a dragster. Okay. I think that went against, like, which is a great film in and of itself, American sure. Graffiti. Completely different from Star Wars, totally. <laughs> but, uh... And Harrison Ford, I think, had smaller roles in Coppola movies, Francis Ford Coppola films okay. like Apocalypse Now and The Conversation. Like, he would pop up mm-hmm. in very small roles. Mm-hmm. So, uh, if I remember correctly, Harrison Ford was actually hired to help Reed because he knew Lucas mm-hmm. with other actors. And then they started realizing, you know, he this did. guy should He's be... Good. Yeah, yeah, he should be Han Solo. Who, who did they... Did they have somebody else cast? I know there's a funny story, and I always forget what it is. Who was almost Han Solo? Tom Selleck. Tom Selleck. <laughs> no, that was, no, no, that was... Oh uh, he was almost Indiana Jones. Yeah. That would be funny. If different, different Lucas production there. Uh, I know Martin Sheen auditioned. I don't know who he was actually playing, but I do... Probably Han. I can't... Yeah, it was probably Han Solo. And I think Walken auditioned for Solo. I mean, uh, and, and things like that. Christopher Walken? Yeah. I have to see that audition tape. I mean, the parody is oh, famous from SNL with yeah. Kevin Spacey, but I think he did actually audition for... Stallone says he auditioned for Han Solo. Sylvester Stallone really? said in an interview I watched recently that he auditioned. He said he was terrible. Yeah. Well, I would love to see that audition yeah. for <laughs> But I think that I think there's something to be said, too, when you have these big movies that you just know and sense and feel are going to be big when they're cast with somewhat unknown people. Like, one that comes to mind is the Harry Potter series. Yeah. The, three of them exactly are complete, right. the three of them are really completely unknown enti- entirely. Mm-hmm. And I think having those unknown, really relatable-looking kids helped really launch that. Um, and they have the same, almost same relationship to each other. Yeah, they do. Han, Leia, because they got Harry Potter as Luke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hermione is Princess Leia. Yeah. She's like, you know... Harry's best friend, yeah. but she likes the other guy, Ron. Who would be like the Han Solo? Who's not really anything like I wouldn't give her an answer. That's a that, weird comparison. But, but weird. you have that so, same yeah. kind of dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. Remember Ron and, and Hermione kind of get into it with Leia and Han. Yeah. Do, you know, yeah. that back yeah. and forth. But I think, you know... I don't know if J.K. Rowling even saw Star Wars, or maybe based it. I don't know. I don't know. They're so similar. But anyway, you know, I think having those unknown kids really helped. And I think yeah. in this case, having these unknown people really made it relatable and I think it was more attractive to audiences instead of having people like Bo Derek or all these like, mm-hmm. gorgeous people mm-hmm. playing the roles um, you know I think that was a smart move right one actor I want to mention in particular when you're mentioning the the trio is Mark Hamill because I really love Mark Hamill in the original trilogy I love Luke Skywalker I think he's a great character but I have read, and I know other people might disagree, that they think he has he's a terrible actor. Or at least back then he was very inexperienced and mm-hmm. a little too whiny. Mm-hmm. And I've heard criticisms. Well, but was that the character? Yeah, yeah, yeah the character was, was supposed to be. I, I just disagree. I, like, I, I guess I, I really like Luke. I think Luke's a very relatable character. Absolutely. You know, and... And who wouldn't want to find out that they're a powerful Jedi and that they can get trained? And It would be like finding out that you're a prince or a princess. Mm-hmm. Like... You know, it's that cool when you're a kid. That's yeah. pretty awesome. Exactly. I mean, yeah. the, the, the scene I love in Star Wars, and I think it encapsulates the whole movie, at least from Luke's point of view, and it's iconic, is the scene where Luke is looking out at the twin sons on Tatooine. Mm-hmm. And it kind of, it just... Oh, yeah. That represents Luke's character 
better than any scene in the trilogy, which is he's longing for a better life. He's yeah. longing for a, a deeper calling. To get away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know anybody in the world who can't relate to that scene. Everybody has that moment in their life where they want something else other than what they currently have, People especially have at that, that age. probably once a month. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, and the next day it's like a, he, he chased a robot into the desert, got knocked out by a sand person, and... <laughs> He got his dad's laser sword and went on a spaceship. So there you go, Lou. Anything possible. And finding out his dad had a sword, you know, that that, that calling. Uh, And it was all by an old man, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, I love how he had a nickname, Ben Kenobi. Ben, yeah. That's a terrible cover-up for who you actually are. Yeah, you kept the same last name, but I'm going to change the first Okay, name. so let's just talk about this cover-up in general. <laughs> yeah, okay, so, yeah. There, so let's, okay, we'll go back to episode three just for now. Right. These two babies were born, the mom just died, the dad is like a freaking monster now, oh, yeah. and they're trying to hide these babies. So what do they do to, to, with the male one? They bring him back to his home planet, <laughs> give him to his, you know, I guess... His dad's uh, aunt and uncle, right? Or, cut, or sister. Well, it's uh, his, well, it's his mother's new husband's uh, son, right? Yeah, I think yeah. I think Vader and Uncle Ben, his name's Ben, I believe, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. I think they're half-brothers, right? That's kind of yeah, what they're half- implied. Yeah, yeah, I thought they were, yeah. I thought it was a Vader side of the family, not Podmay's. It is Vader's so. Yeah. yeah. So that's makes it even worse. Weirder. Exactly. Because yeah. then he can easily find him. Yeah. I know. <laughs> and then, so the, the, then, you know, Obi-Wan hides on the same planet as Luke. Like, like yeah. basically and, down the street. And so how does Darth Vader just, uh, I don't know, I mean, he, he knows where he grew up still. I think he just doesn't <laughs> care to go back. Really. I mean, think about how, you know, shifted and, and just different Darth Vader was mm-hmm. in, in that third, yeah. episode three. Just how he totally changed at the end, and then when he found out that Padme died, you know he felt like he lost. Am I saying that right? He felt like he lost everything, and now he had no, he had every incentive to go to the dark side and never look back. So I think it was really a matter of that. You know, he just had no desire to look back to that life or that person that he once was. Now he was Darth Vader going forward, and having that body gear that really helped um, ignite that transformation. Had he been in his human form, maybe. Yeah. But completely changing, you know, everything about him. And he was told the babies were dead, but still, it's if he's in that tune with the Force, you think he'd feel yeah. something. But, you know, maybe then, not, because yeah. he didn't even know Obi-Wan was alive until he was, like, right there with him. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's crazy. Like, I kind of, my theory is really that Vader just became... Uh, like there was like this tunnel vision that developed, and he's not a nostalgic guy. That like, he just became yeah. Darth Vader that moment. He he, he had yeah. no emotion for anything. Yeah. He never looked back on anything. I agree. When Obi Wan returns, he obviously remembers it immediately because he knows that's his old master. He senses him with the, with the Force mm-hmm. and everything. But but I feel like that's why he wasn't going back to Tatooine because there's a lot of weird plot points that Lucas created in the prequels, like that he was a creator that Vader created. Uh, C-3PO. Yeah. You know, and but yet... he doesn't, like, remember. He doesn't remember or even, yeah. you know, or, make any or, correlations that this is my my thing. Or Obi-Wan, for that matter. I mean, Yeah, why yeah. does Obi-Wan not remember yeah. them? He's uh, like, yeah. he's like, was yeah. it you? Uh, hey there, I, I never owned a droid. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't recall owning a droid. It's like, yeah, I've seen several scenes with you and R2-D2 yeah. together in the same... When he calls him Obi-Wan, he's like, I haven't been called that in a long time. Like, he's surprised someone would ever yeah. call him that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's her name. 
<laughs> I think at one point, like in the first movie, he even like said that the R2 should be commended for saving their lives. <laughs> he, like completely. I mean, I don't know. I don't understand the droid manufacturing process there. Maybe there's just like lots and lots of R2D2s, and so he's like, oh, well, this I think is just. Were. A, Remember. Um, well, they, when, uh, excuse me, when, uh, yeah, it was his <laughs> uncle or whatever was going shopping, so to speak. Yeah. yeah. It looked like there were a lot. Not that it looked exactly like him. But I don't yeah. know. So, Each yeah. one is, like, unique. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, one of the interesting things, too, when we're talking about Vader is, like, how iconic Vader has become within the entire franchise. Like, I think a lot of people name... Darth Vader is their favorite character in the whole franchise. And yeah. I think it is a perfectly designed villain. I think that's what it is. Beyond the history, and there is some complexity of the character because he used to be a Jedi, mm -hmm. used to be good, and he turned evil. That well, certainly adds to his, You know, it's interesting because he wanted to go to the dark side. He was being manipulated into thinking that by going to the dark side, he and his wife could live the kind of life that he wanted them to have. Yeah. And then he lost that all. Right. You know, so I, th I agree with you. I think after all that happened... Especially after he became disfigured and he, you know, transformed into this black suit, for lack of a better word. <laughs> he really just became numb. I think he mm -hmm. really just became lifeless in many ways. Almost like a computer himself. Mm -hmm. Just on autopilot. Here's something I, here's a question I want to ask about Darth Vader. Why is he, like, second in command in the first one? <laughs> I've oh, always wondered that. Uh, so the comic books actually um, explain this. Okay. The newer ones that came out. Wait a minute, out. they were comics before <laughs> No, 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 no. Oh, so okay. there is... There are new comics that ca that Marvel came out with, and they're considered "quote unquote" canon. Mm -hmm. um, so the gist of it is that Vader fucked up so bad <laughs> that the Emperor was like, "All right, you're basically a part of the military now, and you're actually second in command to uh, like the general of our." As but, a Grand yeah. Moff Tarkin, is that his yeah, name? Yeah, Grand Moff. That's right. Yeah. I forgot the name. Yeah, but you're right. It's Grand Moff. Um, there, there's there, there's actually Tarkin comics too. Um, so, <laughs> no, but they're, they're actually, like, pretty good. Are they good? Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Like his backstory and everything, right? I don't I haven't read any of them. Um, I'm, I'm kind of waiting. I read all the Darth Vader ones. That's how I know about the whole second okay. command thing. But, yeah, Vader just kept messing up and not really keeping his cool, and the Emperor just got kind of mad. And well, he did have a bad temper. Is that yes. Mm -hmm. So he got demoted before we see him. So he's demoted below this guy. Yeah. But he's just below this guy, right? He's just pretty much, but, you know, yeah. he's feared by pretty much everybody else but him, because I know he, he can just strangle him with, you know, just a couple yeah. of yeah, motions right. of his uh, pinky. and yeah. you know. mm -hmm. Vader seems to respect him in the movie, too, because when, when Tarkin tells him, you know, stop choking the one guy, oh, that, yeah. you know, the, yeah. pragma the pragmatist who yeah. kind of scoffs at the Jedi powers, yeah. the guy who created the Death Star, I think that one general yeah, yeah. created, uh, Tarkin goes, this is Bickering is pointless. Yeah. So Vader seems to like and respect this guy. At least that's the impression I get in the movie. Well, he's very evil. I mean, he, <laughs> who yeah. is Darth Vader? Or well, the other guy? The other guy is very evil. I mean, by no, yeah. by no, he's not been twisted. He's not. Mm -hmm. he doesn't, he's not part of the dark side. He's just a. He's just a dick. <laughs> yeah, he is. <laughs> he is. He's the worst character. <laughs> he might be the worst character because he has no reason. Because like he's not part of the dark side. He's not a Sith Lord or anything. Yeah. He's just a general that orders the entire destruction of a planet. With, for no reason. Right. Yeah. For well, reasons that we don't know. Not only does he destroy a planet, but he he tricks Leia into revealing another planet mm -hmm. so he could destroy her planet yeah. and then destroy that planet. So there's just no redeeming qualities after that. You well, know? So how did they recruit people to become part of the Empire, especially at higher ranks like that? Because 
you'd sort of have to... So think about episode, the end of episode three. Everybody knew the Siths were basically taking over. Mm -hmm. um, Palpatine outed himself as a Sith Lord. Mm -hmm. So what sort of people... Uh, how would they recruit that? Like, hey, are, are you... Out of fear, probably. Yeah. People probably followed out of fear because they were doing away with all the Jedis at that point. Well, they were all dead. Well, that's yeah. what I mean. They did away yeah. with them all. And it was either you followed them out of fear or you probably died too. Right. Well, I also think Palpatine kind of manipulated, based on the prequels, he manipulated the entire galaxy mm -hmm. to be convinced that he's the only guy that can really command yeah. this republic. And that's why it morphed into an empire. It's just a gradual deconstruction of the, the Republic so that he could take full control. And they think he's a good guy, if I remember correctly, they at the did. end. They still thought that he yeah. was a victim of the Jedi's attacks, mm -hmm. and that's how he convinced everybody. And so I think it's like Nazi Germany, where everybody yeah. thought Hitler was the solution to their yeah. problems. Mm -hmm. I think that the parallels are the same with the Empire. People just thought Palpatine's the guy. He's the one who mm -hmm. knows they what found he's doing. Out otherwise, yeah. And people like Leia are leading the re resistance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that... That fat guy. <laughs> <laughs> and the fat and guy. Porkins. Fat guy in the plane. Porkins, yeah. yeah. Porkins, uh, my, one of my favorites. That's right. That's right. Um, I actually read something about the, the Death Star and how it probably would, if, if you were, if this was reality and there was an empire that was over the whole galaxy and someone just destroyed the Death Star, they said that'd probably be a terrible thing to do economically for the. Yeah, <laughs> yeah probably. The empire. Because he just destroyed, like, Quad trillions, you know, of infrastructure, you know, even though it's terrible infrastructure, we just destroyed it in one thing, and so there, there was like all that. Basically, it's just like throwing away all that money, and there's nothing mm -hmm. out of it, you know. I don't know what the tax structure was. Yeah, I mean, there had to be some. Well, I mean, the Trade Federation. Yeah, if, let's see if Lucas could re remake the original trilogy, he'd probably get into the taxation of the. I'm sure New Hope would be a whole taxation. You know, because I'm sure they were tax. high. Yeah. Taxes were very, very high. <laughs> new tax. That's the name would be. Right. <laughs> that's that's I think one of the main differences between a New Hope. Which I still kind of consider Star Wars off, yes. off the record, but uh, that's a big difference between the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy. Is that the original trilogy was really rooted in like uh, Joseph Campbell and the hero aesthetic, you know, mm -hmm. what makes a hero, like the, the reluctant hero, the hero's journey, and synthesizing different elements from like uh, Flash Gordon serials from like uh, 30s and 40s and. Westerns. In fact, I think A New Hope specifically is based on a Kurosawa film called The Hidden Fortress, which is about a bunch of samurai that were protecting their yep. fortress, and a lot of the different characters are based off of them. Full disclosure, I have not seen it. This is stuff I've read in, in background information, but essentially what it means is he's synthesizing a lot of different storytelling techniques to come up with a very basic classic story. And I think Star Wars works best when you have characters you can relate to. Mm -hmm. Uh, the the plot is very simple. It's there's action, but it's also a journey. Like they're moving I, from one place to the next. I think people also like that family complexity of it mm -hmm. yeah. with the Darth Vader and the two twins, and you know, because that's like real life stuff. Yeah, it, it is. You know, I think people like the psychology of it. I know that's what I really enjoyed about it. Had that not been involved, again, it just would have been like some guy on a journey. I probably wouldn't have enjoyed it as much as having those other elements. Well, it's, you know, every every good story has an orphan, right? 
villain. And a villain. Think, villain. think about Harry Potter again. You know, it's yeah. Bruce Wayne, Superman. I mean, yeah, both. Both. And uh, there's always something extraordinary that happens to them. Like Harry mm-hmm. becomes a wizard. You know. Yeah. Like, which is what draws us in, because we all w- wish in a way that something extraordinary would remove us from our ordinary lives. But it never does. No. no unless you get bit by a spider, and then no. you become Spider-Man. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Another orphan. What I like True, about, yeah. yeah. What I like about it is it's, it's also kind of a Western in a way, you know, especially the beginning of it with Tatooine. They go into a bar, mm. and they negotiate with... I mean, I think one of the appeals to it is it's very lived-in, Galaxy, you know, these people live and mm-hmm. they go to the bars and they drink and it's like, you know, especially on Tatooine, it's very dirty and... Jabba the Hutt. Yeah. Like the gangster. Yeah, the Jabba the Hutt, the gangster yeah. and the third one. But even the Jawas, they're like pawn stars. <laughs> they're, yeah. they're pawn brokers. And then you got the sand people, which are like cartel, like a cartel of gangsters. And, oh, yeah. uh, um, that's one of my favorite scenes in the movie, too, is when the Jawas are negotiating to sell C-3PO yeah. and R2-D2 to Ben, Uncle Ben, and he goes, what are you trying to pull on me when one of the droids yeah. d- destroys? And the Jawa puts his hands up in the air like, hey, what are yeah. you talking about? <laughs> I'll, I'll shysters, that, essentially. I'll take that one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they talk about the harvest. What are they, moisture farmers? Yeah, they, uh, how do you harvest, by, I don't know. How do you Once the harvest water? is done, you can go next year. That's a whole other year. <laughs> or whatever. Thanks for that recap. It's rather interesting. And she's, she has some sort of, when she's making food, she's putting like cabbage or something into some sort of... Uh, that looks so yeah. gross. It does. <laughs> None of the food. The food yeah. he... Okay, let's just talk about the second movie. But the food he eats on Yoda's planet, I was like, what is he eating? Like a granola bar or something? That looked like, much better than whenever <laughs> Baru was making it that boiling thing. <laughs> the food is terrible. <laughs> it's Star Wars. Maybe that galaxy is like the England of the universe. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it might be. Uh, you know... I never also understood why Ben is so hostile towards Obi-Wan Kenobi either. Like, ignore that old man, that foolish old man. We might know who he is. Well, they do know, because we saw in the third one, he brought the kid to them. Well, then that's Uh, why. He probably doesn't want Luke to become a Jedi. Thanks for giving us a kid. Uh, no, I can I harvest mean, whenever I want. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's why Uncle Ben just wanted a kid and so we can harvest the farm. <laughs> They're going to like our brew, kid. <laughs> but that could be why. You know, that trying, could be, yeah. He's trying to prevent, you know... Um, Luke from going down that path. Yeah. Obi, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi is a great character in this, and I think Alec Guinness plays him beautifully. Yes. Because his line deliveries are very subtle. The wink in the eye with Luke, like he's leading Luke on, like, you know, that's your uncle talking, that stuff. I kind of love that. Like, he's, he obviously knows who Luke is beyond yeah. any doubt, but... There's a real legitimate bond between those two, even though Obi-Wan, you know, spoiler alert, you know, is taken by Darth Vader like two thirds of the way into the movie. Well, they still developed a really strong bond. He did. He did. Yeah, he yeah. surrendered himself really. Yeah, he just kind of, he did the He witch. did it to save Luke. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I just think that Guinness and Hamill did a great job of developing this really strong father-son relationship sure. during that time. Mm-hmm. And I always felt that Obi-Wan had a much better relationship with Luke in this movie yeah. than he did with Anakin in the prequels, where they seem to be fighting and bickering most of the time. Here, Luke seems to really respect Obi-Wan and what he's offering. It's kind of interesting that he took the same gamble. Like, How, how did he know this wouldn't turn out the same? Yeah. You know, it's yeah. Anakin. 
It's a good question. Well, they didn't have a choice. Well, right? Luke was also a yeah. lot older when he met Obi Wan Kenobi, and maybe he could sense via the Force or whatnot that he was good and not evil. You know? Yeah, and I'm I not. Know. I'm not sure because one of the problems with Anakin was that he was too old to begin with to start training. So I no, guess. No, I mean when Obi Wan first met Luke in the first film. Yeah. Luke was how old? Eighteen? Seventeen? Eighteen? I don't know Something how old like was that. he. Yeah. And then that's what I mean. Maybe because Luke was old, older than he than Anakin was when mm-hmm. he first met Obi Wan Kenobi, that Luke could sense that I'm sorry that um, Obi Wan could sense that Luke was good and that he wanted to to be a good Jedi and do right, and that's why he took it on. Also, think about it; they really had no other choice. <laughs> a new hope yeah. is the name of it. Yeah, like this I is am, our only hope. Our exactly. only hope. Our only Big key exactly. to this movie. Yeah. Yeah. When she said, "You're our only hope." Obi-Wan knew he was too old. I mean, he just knew he yeah. needed to do... He needed to have another Jedi trainee, someone who could take after him, you know. There was the risk of Luke meeting his father and finding it out in sure. this movie, too. But I guess Obi-Wan was confident enough that, that maybe they didn't expect to be drawn into the Death Star because that was not part of the plan. That wasn't, mm-hmm. yeah. He just wanted to save Leia. He didn't know he'd be confronting Vader again, specifically, I don't think. Mm-hmm. He didn't really confront him in that... Um... But Vader was getting close to him, and that's why Obi-Wan yeah. stepped in and fought him and essentially, you know... Distracted him yeah, so he could get out of there. Exactly. Yeah, I think he also knew he had to be dead in order to help Luke. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, because he, he knew. I mean, I think they understand if they're yeah. pure, they can still, you know, remain as a ghost or whatever they would consider that sort of thing. A mm-hmm. spirit friend or something. Yeah. 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 So, so honestly, in a way, it kind of seems like it was like kind of like a harebrained scheme in a way on on Obi Wan Kenobi's part, you know. Meaning he had a sense that this was the fate, that yeah. this is what was going to happen, and he knew at the right time, you know, Luke would come on under his wing, and then at some point in time he would have to perish so that he could help Luke go on. That's absolutely right. I, you know, I think that's like you said. I Obi Wan probably had a strong sense mm-hmm. that this is. The only hope we have of the galaxy is Luke. Mm-hmm. He's the one, and he was raised on Tatooine. Leia's already working for the Rebellion, so they're not really mm-hmm. as concerned about her. Uh, there's probably some sexism with Jedi, too. Like, hey, we're going to go <laughs> with the male over the female. But, you know? but yeah. they but, redeem themselves in making her a general Leia, and she takes charge. She's bossing those people around, mm-hmm. Princess mm-hmm. Leia. Yep. You know, people respect her, mm-hmm. and they take her seriously, and I think that's great. Even though she wasn't a Jedi, quote-unquote, um, she still very much was a person of authority, and to be a woman. It is interesting the way the galaxy uh, ranks people because it seems like princesses are second tier to generals and senators. Because it's like I'm no longer a princess now; I'm a senator. I'm no yeah. longer a princess now; I'm a general. And you know, I'm wondering what a princess is in the galaxy. And then there are some governor regents or something. Because when the the Senate was dissolved, he said there or Vader was giving all the power, or not Vader, but the Emperor was giving. The power to the regional governors or governor regents, I forgot what... You yeah, know. that's right. Like, all the governors, like, fear would control the galaxy because yeah. this theft store is out there and that's how they're going to... Well, we never met a single one of them. No. But, yeah. Not at all. Hmm. Well, it, could, it, all, it also could be a, um, a status thing. So, if, if I was Princess Leia, I was born a princess because by virtue of who my parents were. That doesn't mean... That's no significance to what I am, to what I can do. But if I work my way up through the system and I become a general, 
That's a status. That's something I yeah. earned. That is not a title that I was born into. Mm-hmm. That is a title I earned. It's a respect and it's an authority thing. Um, and so I think, it, especially in this type of film, it could be something more so along the lines of that, you know, meaning, hey, I'm a general now. Princess, I was born that. That's never going to change. I'm a, I will always be a princess. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, but now I'm a general. It'd be like, you know, I don't know if um, Prince William, he has a daughter. Let's, she's a princess. She's born a princess. Let's say she becomes president of America one day. She would probably go by president such and such versus I'm princess so and so. I right. think it's kind of like that. Or prime minister. Oh, prime minister. Exactly. She'd probably be known as prime minister such and such yeah. versus I'm princess yada yada yada. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. One of the big, uh, I think one of the biggest appeals. But one of the, uh, certainly a major appeal of Star Wars to a lot of people are the secondary characters, mm-hmm. like the alien characters yeah. mm-hmm. or the droids, the and uh, they definitely deserve some recognition. Uh, C three of you on R two D two. A lot of people I've talked to have mentioned that R two D two is their favorite character in a trilogy. They people love R two D two, and I think the amazing thing, the genius of George Lucas, and he he is able to make us care about a tin can. That just moves around on oh, wheels yeah. because of and Ben Burr, who's a sound designer, who's also a genius, was able to give us all those bleeps. You know, yeah. we feel all of our two's emotions and personality in those bleeps, yeah. and, and he doesn't move that much. I, it's that's incredible to me that they're able to draw that much personality from that character. Yeah. Is that that one line where C three PO tells R two that he doesn't care for him, and that mm-hmm. that little line R two gave like. <laughs> it's just heartbreaking. It is. It is heartbreaking. <laughs> but he doesn't have a heart. He really is a robot. He shouldn't care. Speaking yeah. of CP3O, I love him. CP3O? I, yeah, the, I, AKA the gold man. Because before I'd ever seen the movie, I could name all the characters, but I didn't know his name, so he was just the gold man. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love him. I love how proper and polite he is, and he's very smart, and he's kind of like that trusty sidekick that people take for granted. They don't listen to him always. Um, you know, they shut him off and whatnot because they think he's being annoying when he's really usually has the right answer or he's yeah. really the most helpful in many ways. Oh, yeah, he is. And the droids are treated like yeah. secondary citizens the yeah. whole time. Like, yeah. anytime that they complain or having, like, some sort of emotional mm-hmm. breakdown, Luke will just acknowledge him for a minute then turn to somebody else. Like, the, the yeah. humans do not care about the droids mm-hmm. at all in, in this and universe. And the droids are living to work for the you know, and care yeah. for the humans. They can't well, eat in the yeah. bars. Yeah, they can't come in the bar. Yeah. No, they yeah. their kind here. <laughs> <laughs> that bar, too, is another example of the genius of Star Wars. All those weird alien creatures, oh, and they yeah. just passes through. Most of them only get maybe two or three seconds of their time, yeah. but they all make an impact. Like, my favorite was Hammerhead, the guy with the long yes. neck and everything. Yeah. He was amazing. Mm-hmm. And there's the walrus-looking guy, I think, mm-hmm. is another one. But they all have their own language, and again, the, the genius of the movie is how they can incorporate all these different characters and languages and just make it a universe, yeah, a lived-in universe. It's like harmony, yeah. Yeah. Well, how about Chewbacca? Oh, yeah. You know, we can't yeah. forget Chewbacca. No, who couldn't forget Chewie? You know? I know, yeah. yeah. You know, you love him, and all he does is whine. <laughs> yeah, <he takes laughs> I don't like how he makes that whining noise, but he went, <laughs> you know, yeah. He goes, but, um, but, yeah, he's a good trusty sidekick, and I feel like... You know, some don't some women think he's like attractive? Like, isn't there like a weird fetish thing? Yeah, I'm sure there is. <laughs> I have no doubt that there's a, there's like, a segment of the population yeah. that has a So fetish. that's you know an attraction to some as well. Um, but no, I think I think he was a great character, and he's kind of strong, and 
Strong and silent type. <laughs> well, you, you nailed our target audience, Wookiee fetishists. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm serious. Google it. They're probably I'm sure. sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not. I'm new to this Star Wars fandom, and even I've, I've heard of that in my, you know, times before yeah. this. The uh, there is a there was one like a throwaway when uh, that one uh, alien antagonizes Luke in the bar. He says he doesn't like you. I don't like you. <laughs> I got a desktop in five systems or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just really weird. The dialogue is really awkward. <laughs> yeah. I don't like you. Because <laughs> it's, it's, it's apparent the guy can't speak well through his makeup. <laughs> I don't like you. <laughs> I don't like you. He <laughs> can't make it look natural. And that, they didn't even give that guy a full-fledged alien makeup. He's half human and half yeah. pig or something yeah, like yeah, that. You yeah. know. And they just gave up halfway. Oh, we're out of putty. <laughs> We need to have this guy articulate at some level so people can understand. Who shoots him? Is it is it Obi Wan gets out of his lightsaber? Yeah, he chops off. The, yeah, the, well, the other thing's arm. I yeah. don't know what he. Wait, is yeah. that the first one? He had like yeah, a wolf like arm too. Yeah, yeah, he had a wolf like arm. And then Greedo, the the famous uh, yeah. uh, bounty hunter. Now, what's your take, Josh, on Han shoot first? Like, this is going into the changes that Lucas made subsequent to the original release. Like, uh, you know, uh, I, I never really thought it was important. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the, the point is, he shot. Yeah. Him, so, but he needed to. Yeah, they killed but, the killed uh, But yeah. the fact that he, I don't understand why he changed it, I guess. I guess that 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 would be what I'm upset about. Like, why would why would you? It's such that? a minute thing. So why would you care to change it? Like, oh, I like it. Unless he had some kind of like personal thing about it originally, and they didn't let it happen that way. And yeah. So years later, he just couldn't let go and said, "Damn it, I'm making it happen this way now." Well, well it seems it's got to be something personal. Right. Well, just so people know what we're talking about too. Like in the original, if people remember Greedo, who's the green alien who's collecting a bounty for Jabba the Hutt from Han Solo. Mm -hmm. Uh, threatens him, and then in the original Han just shot Greedo without being threatened at all. And the update with the Lucas films in the late 90s, he updated it with a special edition. Greedo shoots before Han, so Han retaliates, sure. and that's how he beats him. And by the way, I love the name Greedo. You know, everything yeah. about that guy from that name. <laughs> well, then there was a third. They, he changed it again, so they both shot at the same time. Yeah. That's oh, that's saw. true. Yeah, okay. on the one that yeah we so saw. So the, the Blu-rays, <laughs> yeah. the new one. Yeah, they changed we shot at the same again. time. Every possible outcome has been covered by Lucas <laughs> in this scenario. I guess same time is probably yeah. the best. Yeah, the best compromise. That would make the most sense. But still, I, I, it was interesting reading the argument. People that really truly say that Han shot first, and it's like they 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 can't come off that. They say because that defines his character. Like Han Solo is a person that goes from someone that would shoot someone first. To this person that's saving the galaxy, a selfish person that becomes a unselfish person, you know, that like that kind of journey through his character. And I still think there's a journey for his character if he shoots second. I mean, yeah, he still absolutely. he still changes someone that all he cares about is himself to someone that cares. I mean, about look at it this way: Why would he want so badly to get the money so that he could pay Jabba the Hutt if he just didn't care and was shooting people? Think about that. You know, like if he was really a nasty guy and didn't care, wouldn't he just go shoot Jabba the Hutt? Well, if you've you seen Jabba the Hutt, I think that's a hard... Uh, I saw him. Yeah. I saw him. I mean, he was disgusting. <laughs> I'm just saying, though. I mean, think about it. You know, like this guy... Because he... Didn't he have conversations with that man prior? With Greedo prior? Yeah, like, right yeah, yeah, yeah. If he really wanted to kill him and shoot him, he would have shot him then. Well, I think... So, I think... I think he said something. 
and yeah. getting it at the same time or having yeah. hit Greedo yeah. shoot first. Really, I, I just feel like Han wouldn't be the first one to shoot randomly out of the blue like that. I don't think that Han is an inherently violent man, but he yeah. is impulsive. If you watch when he's in the yeah. Death Star, when they're trying to save Leia, he shoots before he thinks. And that sure. happens throughout. And I love that about him. But he's him. also being threatened by these stormtroopers. Yeah. True. He would shoot too. Oh, yeah. He's kind of bullheaded. Like, he, yeah. he, he makes a lot of noise. Mm-hmm. He always says, like, I'd rather fight, you know, mm-hmm. face someone head on than hide and... He doesn't like the sneaking around and stuff. Yeah, there there is that scene where he ran after all the stormtroopers, like going like ah. Yeah, and then he comes back the other way. Yeah, I love that. Exactly. I also love the scene. It's one of my favorite moments in A New Hope when he's dressed as a stormtrooper and he's on some uh, conference call with the other Imperial officers, and they're wondering what happened because they had just taken over that room. Yes. And he's like, oh, nothing to see here, or yeah, there's yeah, something yeah, to that yeah. effect, and he just shoots it. It was a boring conversation anyway. And <laughs> to me, that's Han Solo. It's just like, you know, yeah. he's ornery, he's reckless, shoot first, ask questions later. Yeah. If you haven't seen the uh, the Family Guy hour-long parody of Star Wars, mm-hmm. uh, definitely watch it, because one of my favorite things about that is he actually sits down and he has this long conversation about the, with this the guy on the other end about his girlfriend. And, <laughs> and, and it ends up being that he's running like a love show on a radio and they start playing some Kenny G or something. They do a great job with those family guys. I agree yeah. with Josh. Like, if you have a chance to check it out. Isn't that the Star Wars one? Isn't that the same one where Herbert ends up singing the Dirty Dancing song to Chris at the end? Yes. Yeah, that's... Oh uh, they, 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 all the continuity problems we can possibly point out here, like, they pretty much... Did I mean the, yeah. the most? The one even I recognized, and I was like six years old uh, or eight. Whenever I first saw it, was when they first are escaping uh, Tatooine, and the, the the star cruisers are after them. And then Han's like, "It's okay, I know some maneuvers," and he just sort of like drifts off to the left. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. I, I think about it. That's true. Uh, one of the things that's a good uh, note to talk on are the special effects in the movie and the, the, the production design. Like, how do you guys feel they hold up now? I think they're still great for what they are. Even yeah. if you could see some of the the seams, I still love the designs of the of the X wings, the Death Star. Oh, yeah. uh, what are they called? The Imperial. What are the one ships that the cruisers? Kind of, yeah, the yeah, cruisers. Those oval-shaped ones, what are they called? Uh, uh, I don't know, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I do have to say, certainly in the first film, which is the oldest, I think the special effects are really neat. Talking with respect to the ships at the end when they're doing that battle scene mm-hmm. where Luke is flying you know, in and out of all of the, you know, whatever that is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That planet. I think that's incredible. I mean, it still today mm-hmm. holds up, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. I thought it looked great. Well, I think they did out of necessity because they, they had the... Um, well, the, when they swoop down into that crevice, yeah, they, but it's like a first about. person, you don't see it, it's kind of like yeah. a ride. I think they did it because that was the best way that they could shoot it, that shot. It really is the most effective from an audience perspective, yeah. Yeah. and I think it holds up. It's a timeless type of point of view, is always a great audience. Um, yeah, I think they used it like they sped it up, right? Is that what they did? They just filmed yeah, it, sped it, 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 like it was interesting yeah. just seeing how they did Like, everything's a miniature model, yeah, it's like slowly. Yeah. Bring these cameras down into the trenches. Yeah, I, I think the spe- uh, again to go back to the special editions. I think it the worst special effects are those. Yeah, because it uh, looks the less real. Yeah. yeah, and just inserting all that old computer and it really looks dated now. The computer animation, 
inserting that stuff into the practical effects just it's just it's really jarring yeah yeah and i i uh i liked jo uh i liked yoda better when he was a puppet yes not a computer animated yeah. thing yeah yeah if there's one thing that watching a new hope uh or star wars or whatever you want to call it uh, has taught me it's I love practical effects like I do appreciate CGI when it's done well and it's integrated and woven into yeah. a storyline really well and it has been done but when you compare A New Hope to the prequels I just have so much of an appreciation for how lived in the world is I love the tangibility of everything yeah. and that's something that's lacking in a lot of movies that are special effects driven where it's completely created by CGI effects and it just yeah. feels there's a distance I feel sometimes when they they do it as overkill I agree. Yeah. and I think you know I think there's something very nostalgic about the Jim Henson puppets it's just like why Labyrinth is one of my favorite movies and I mm -hmm. think most of it is in part because the the music is great the Bowie and Spandex yeah. and the puppets <laughs> I love the Muppets you know I think yeah. they're just incredible it's just fun um, mm -hmm. and I, I really like that element with the Star Wars I thought that was neat. Well, you can tell if someone's really touching something, you know, mm -hmm. really. I mean, look at the Jabba scene in the first one he added in. Uh, yeah. yeah. But then look at Jabba. Didn't I mean, the difference. Like which, one yeah. Was, yeah. which one was more effective, do you think? The Jabba and the one in Return of the Jedi or the Jabba in that first one? Like, the first one doesn't seem as scary. He just no. seems kind of no. weak. But then I, you see him in that one where he's just sitting he's there. Huge. I hate that scene being in yeah. Star Wars at all because it's just like, I want to see Jabba in Return of the Jedi. That's when I want his first appearance to... to it's yeah. more interesting. It's more mysterious if he's talking about Jabba and you don't see him. Exactly. It doesn't yeah. add anything to it yeah. either. Exactly, I mean, yeah. the only uh, redeemable thing about that is that Boba Fett was in it. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, still, it's, it's like, repetitive yeah. after the Greedo scene because it's like the same conversation, but he's not killing this guy. He yeah. killed the last guy. There's it's a reason he cut it from the movie. <laughs> yeah. And then they, that, that dumb thing where they had him, they, they couldn't really figure out how to have him go behind so he him. He steps on his tail. So he steps on him. Like, That's yeah, like stupid. that wouldn't get him killed, right? Yeah. Yeah, that guy's too big. Just so people know, like, the, the scene we're talking about it was not in the original Star Wars, but was added in the special edition, is an extra scene in which Jabba the Hutt confronts Han after he killed Greedo with the same problem. Yeah. Now, I actually saw an original, uh, the original scene where it was actually a human playing job of the hunt. It was a Scottish guy going, Han, top of the morning to you. Where's the <laughs> no money? No, you I am not joking. Job of the Hutt could have been a Scottish, yeah. <laughs> a fat Scottish guy. Yeah. That's what we would have gotten had they included it in 1977. Um, it shouldn't oh be God, included at all like, as far as... That just makes you think of Fat Bastard. It does. That's basically <laughs> what we get there. Um, well, Jabba is a... I mean, in Return of the Jedi, he is a very menacing character. Yes. And you feel, yeah. you feel scared for anybody that gets in there because he's just... He's merciless. He, he looks like a slug. He looks like he's the worst. Like, he has, would have no capacity to do anything, but he's... You know, he can't do the Jedi mind tricks on them, and he's got that pit with that dinosaur, you know, he's just a monster, <laughs> the Rancor monster, and, you know, he ties up women of all, all species, and, uh, oh, he's just, he's just disgusting. disgusting. I'm so glad that Princess Leia, yes, Princess Leia kills him, <laughs> spoiler alert, I'm sorry, not sorry, I'm so, uh, the fact that she of all the people killed that fat ass, <laughs> I'm so excited. Because he made her get in that bikini, and he just was disgusting. Mm -hmm. uh, he needed it. Just wait till I return to the Jedi podcast, and I'll confront you on these Jabba the Hutt accusations. <laughs> oh, my God. But, uh... So 
Yeah, I mean, that's the amazing thing about Star Wars is there's so many different characters and they're all interesting in their own way and they all have these weird back... You wonder about their backstories. Like, you see a character on screen, they're only on for like two or three minutes and you're like, I wonder where this guy comes from, what's his story, mm -hmm. how did he come from? I just from? wondered, how, how did he get so fat? What well, was he eating? That's probably a species, I'm thinking. Because he's a he was pretty big, you know. He was like a yeah. caterpiller or something, or I don't know what was he a slug. Uh, he's a slug. He yeah. I think he's a, arms. I, I guess he's called a hut. The yeah, hut is the yeah. name of their species. I see yeah, the hut. Java, the hut. It's like Sean the human. I don't really understand. <laughs> the weird thing about here's the weird yeah. thing about the Star Wars world. There's a lot of like you only see one of one species. Yeah, like, I mean, yeah. outside yeah. of the Ewoks and outside of the Jawas and, and the Wookies. Do you see more Wookies? Well, in other movies, you see more Wookies, but I've never seen another Yoda. I no, mean, no we don't know what the fuck he is. But that's why it was so brilliant to have him as a puppet, because then he really looked like a creature. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Yeah. Oh yeah, the yeah. The movement and the hair, mm -hmm. and just it made it look more believable. Yoda was much, was far more effective as a puppet, like yeah. you said, for the exact same reasons you mentioned. I think when he became a CGI character, there was something missing. Even the dialogue got stilted. Like it was yeah. just, it was almost like. <laughs> Yeah, Frank Oz is a brilliant. Like the dialogue for Yoda was like there was a lot of character and personality with Yoda in Empire Strikes Back. Mm -hmm. but when you go back to the prequels, it's almost like they wrote Yoda. They were going through the motions, watered down Yoda, which is I'm just going to reverse your grammar and dialect, and that's it. Like whatever yeah. I say, I'm just going to say in reverse of how people would normally say it. I mean, do or do not. There is no try. That's like motivation posters. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, people live by that statement. Yeah. Yeah. One of the best scenes in all of them is when Yoda is being ornery to Luke when you first meet him. He's yeah. like, good food, good food, come on, come on. And he's like, and he's, he's fighting R2-D2 for that... That sandwich or whatever. Yeah, or, or yeah. Like he stole some like light thing, like a flashlight or something. He never stole it. And then R2's thing slowly comes out, grabs oh, it, and, yeah. goes, and he starts hitting him with his 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 cane. Uh, that's my one of my favorite scenes in any of the movies. Um, yeah, it's great. But you never see that personality ever again. It's like he's just put in the rooms. That kind of you never see in the prequels. That kind of uh, mischievous. No. Which is awkward because. In the prequels, he was supposed to be younger in age, so you think more in that personality would be vibrant. Or, you know, sometimes people get a little loony, or you know what I mean, as they get older, they become a little bit bold that's what in I their personality, mean. so maybe yeah. that's why he was like that older, whereas when he was younger, he was more refined. Was, was only 19, he's 800 years old, and that was only 19 years, so that's what... Yeah, but he was like two years from He wasn't living on a swamp either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He might have got he might have got a little disturbed talking to Kwai Kwan Jin all the time. It's like right. it's like Tom Hanks and Wilson. Yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly what you need though, orderiness. That's that's a key to that. Although character. his planet seems to have all the same animals we have on Earth. Snakes. Yeah. <laughs> a swamp. You know. Snakes and swamp stuff. Yeah, I, like, like, I liked his little house though. What's yeah, his nice little house? house. Cute. Yeah, oh yeah. I I love Dagobah. I mean that's <laughs> an amazing again, it's, set. It's food looks it looks like well it looks like oatmeal. I mean that's what it looks it like. It looks yeah. gross. Yeah. I, I don't wanna know what it was. I'm glad no. they never explained yeah. it. I don't know. <laughs> Some things are left best left to the imagination. Luke did not like it, whatever it was. Well yeah. actually no, he kinda ate it and then he just started He's eating like, it. I just think Luke was just ready to get to the train. He like tugged it and yeah, kinda gave a dirty look, but he like Yeah. One element that is very crucial to these movies, uh that we haven't discussed yet is John Williams and his score. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine Star Wars without the music that he has composed for all the films. Especially that, that the main score. Yeah. I mean, that... 
It's rousing. Legendary. Yeah. yeah. It's so iconic that we kind of take it for granted now because we've heard it so much. But when you actually sit down and listen to them, like the music is absolutely beautiful. Even the subtleties mm -hmm. that he brings to a lot of different scenes. Like mm -hmm. it's not just arousing themes. It's also the subtle music, like where the action takes place. So there's a mystery developing. Luke uh, Williams is brilliant at evoking certain moods in the audience mm -hmm. with that stuff. Um, to make another... Um Correlation to Harry Potter, he also did the music for Harry Potter, and same yeah. can be same can yeah. be said for that as mm -hmm. well. Yeah. But let's also not forget to mention the uh, cinematography of this film. How about the first five minutes? Oh yeah. How iconic that is with yeah. the, the three paragraphs scroll up. I mean, so many people do parodies or. Oh yeah, you know, and then the they uh, steal that. The ship uh, just going and keep going like yeah. on the top of the screen. And yeah. I could I could not imagine seeing that uh -uh. in 1977, where you're just thinking a little ship is going. Well, you just didn't see you just didn't see anything like that. The I mean, 2001 was probably the closest people had to like a kind of an odyssey in space, but that was very not like that at all. Yeah. No, it was based on what was happening like NASA, like a natural progression of that, as opposed to something that was just completely off the scale. Right. I mean, when you look at Kubrick was attempting to come from, to approach science fiction from a very intellectual, realistic standpoint with sort of a, like a metaphysical mm -hmm. aspect to it. And that had to be mind-blowing for 1968. But when you come into 1977 and you're kids, like yeah. five or six years old, you're going into a theater and you see those ships, that just captivates you. That's Saturday morning live action stuff that hits mm -hmm. you. Immediately, yeah. <laughs> and then that powerful music and yeah. the lightsaber, oh, yeah. just yeah. everything about it was really entrancing. Mm -hmm. Wasn't it uh, very successful? I mean, this is, I'm sure I could have looked. I this think up it before. was. The, but it, when it first came out, like I mean, like the first few weeks, was it all that popular? Did it take a while? Uh, it out? was almost like the word of mouth built very quickly, and okay. it started selling out every week. And it played. I think it played in the theater through. The entirety of the year, wow. and it was the biggest money maker of all time at that at point. Know, yeah. And now I think uh, so there's just for inflation. I think Star Wars is second only to. Uh, is it Titanic? No, it's Gone with the Wind. Oh, Gone with the Wind. When it's adjusted for inflation, Gone with the okay. Wind is the highest grossing movie ever made. Wow. Star Wars, the original, A New Hope, is number two. So that's how big this movie is, and it would have grossed a billion dollars by today's wow. standards. Wow. So, um, it's it was a big big hit. Well, it was really, the, it was so unique. It was the first thing of its kind, really. Yeah. Right? I it, mean, there really was no no movies like that. And I think it's the first movie that actually, because Lucas was brilliant to make uh, merchandising deals when the movie came out. Because yes. nobody, the, now everyone thought it was going to flop. Well, that was the studio yeah. didn't expect that people thought it was going to be a huge bomb. The dialogue wasn't that great. You know, nobody had really seen the special effects. Like, Industrial Light and Magic was essentially created to make that movie. That's what why it was formed was so that Lucas could well, use I actually have, have it actually its first week it only made six million dollars in today's dollars wow oh. the second week it, it, it made seven million there and it had which was 27 million and then but it ended up for the whole full it was six months into its release it actually um, after people started talking about it it became the highest earning yeah. film in North America just six months into its release so it just kept building it actually made over 220 million in its first run and that's oh. like 859 million in the day's dollars so. that's wow. huge yeah. so that is it, probably took, it, it probably took a while because people 
like word of mouth. Oh yeah, that's great. Go see us. People at first were probably like, what? I remember something about how they didn't sink much money into marketing it because as Sean said, it was supposed to be a flop. <laughs> yeah, it actually, be, it, <laughs> first movie to become the number one box office movie of all time twice. It became it initially, then it lost to E.T. Then when the real release of all the movies came out, it became it overtook E.T. again. Wow. But then Titanic the next year yeah, came out. And took it out. The significance of Star Wars yeah. is enormous in Hollywood because the 1970s was a very significant decade for American filmmaking. Because okay. Oh yes, absolutely. The first half of the movie, this was a transition from the old Hollywood. Okay. Which was the 60s. Like, if you're thinking of movies like The Sound of Music and My Fair Lady, when Hollywood musicals were very prominent, it was also at the end where you're getting Dr. Doolittle. It was starting to get watered down. Yeah. And then there was a new crop of filmmakers, and it coincides with rock and roll. Like, because okay. with the Beatles and Bob Dylan and that shift in culture, the generational shift, the baby boomers were starting to take over, and you were starting to get movies like Easy Rider and The Graduate that were edgier oh and more, right, they were more controversial. Sure. And then you will get into the 70s, which a lot of people consider one of the, the peaks of American filmmaking, when you had these very cynical, dark, character-driven films like The Godfather movies oh. and Chinatown and Cuckoo's Nest and um, The French Connection, just, just a lot of those different types of movies, Scorsese and Coppola and that style Sorry, of filmmaking, yeah. you know, Taxi Driver, um, Jaws came out in 75, it was directed by Spielberg, and now it's considered like one of the first major summer blockbusters. Mm -hmm. And you know, Spielberg and Lucas are obviously very close. They were kind mm -hmm. of the same generation as Coppola and Scorsese, mm -hmm. but they were more interested in, in more optimistic, you know, fun movies that they kind of grew up list, uh, watching. And that's where the shift occurred. So the first half of the 70s, you had all these dark, cynical movies coming out. And towards the end of the 70s, you started seeing like Jaws and then Rocky, you know, with Sylvester Stallone's and Rocky. Rocky for a picture show. Right. That, that's, that's a, an anomaly out of all of these, you know. I don't know where it fits into this, this, even, this even narrative thread I have. But, uh, right, yeah, but Rocky itself was, it was an optimistic yeah. thing. Even though Rocky was very much in tune aesthetically with The Godfather because it was a gritty street character driven yeah. uh, movie, it was optimistic because Rocky represented hope that anybody can come out of this you know, squalor and end up making something of yourself. And then the next year, Star Wars comes out, which just, boom, that's the 80s. The 80s yep. begin kind of with sure. Star Wars. And all those other spacey, techie-type movies in the 80s. Right. And I think there was a lot of resentment from a lot of people in Hollywood and even critics where they wanted to see more movies like Taxi Driver and Chinatown that were these dark, challenging, cynical films versus what they called popcorn entertainment like mm -hmm. Star Wars and subsequently Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I think they were well-received critically, but I think that there might have been a resentment like of people. Like Back to the Future and stuff. Right. Yeah. I personally feel like they're both great. Like, I think you can be a fan of both The Godfather and Chinatown and Star Wars. I don't think that you have well, to... Well, I, I think yeah. the thing that the, the major key theme among both of those genres is strong character-driven. Yes. They're both character-driven. Mm -hmm. I think if, and like I said in the very beginning of, of our discussion, if Star Wars didn't have the characters that it had, I wouldn't have really cared much for it. Yeah, Just the space fighting and all that, mm -hmm. I wouldn't have We been, would have the prequels. That's yeah, all we'd have I, I about the characters. I wouldn't really have, have been drawn into it, but it was the characters and the right. stories behind them and, and the relationships that really sunk me into it. 
I think the nadir of blockbusters had to be the 90s for me because I think the 80s had a lot of great character-driven blockbusters I think still hold up, like Ghostbusters and Raiders of the Lost mm-hmm. Ark and the Star Wars films. And all of those like high school John Hughes movies. Yeah. Right. The 90s had a lot of disaster in movies and action movies that had no character at all. It was just a bunch of explosions. Like it was very watered off. down. I think we're coming back to character-driven stuff. I mean, people... I've heard some complaints about the superhero genre like taking over too much, but I think they brought character back to the blockbuster, oh, yeah. and, they, and they have really good storytelling. I mean, obviously, the Marvel studio films. The only thing are, is, they just overdo it. Do we need five different Superman versions of five different guys playing Superman? Yeah, until you know, they get they it just, right. Yeah, they, they kind of. I, don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I thought Christopher Reeves was was good way yeah. back when, but. Mm. Well, well, it's a money-making exactly. aspect of it too. And, and it's I guess merchandising that's probably and franchising. Like some people feel like it's it's not quality just because oh they're pumping out another Spider-Man. You know, yeah, kind of, right. Unless you're a hardcore fan of that, I can see where that that, that perception would be. It all comes down to the script and character. Yeah. You can reboot something as much as you like as long as the quality is there. I think a prime example of this getting watered well the prequels for Star Wars now I would say that Lucas didn't make those movies simply to make money no because he had enough money anyway I just think at that point Lucas just wasn't in tune with storytelling uh, like it seemed like he was bored by Star Wars at that point as much as he so. might yeah. much like uh, disagree with that or maybe uh, uh, deny it I just felt like that they seemed like he was passionless and didn't seem to understand why people loved Star Wars in the first place when he made the prequels. And he was trying to like make it to his vision, but he yeah he just did not understand why people like Star Wars. I think he thought it was all about the space and the special effects and the battles, and then he completely lost how characters yeah. interact with each other in a realistic way. Yeah, even in space. And you know, just like just like life, sometimes people change. Their preferences change what they enjoy, what they're passionate about changes, and look at the time difference between the first Star Wars. Think about when he was writing it, you mm-hmm. know, to, to when those new Star Wars movies came out. I mean, that's over 20 years. As a human, you change so much in a 20-year mm-hmm. time period. I mean, God, 20 years ago, I was 10 years old. The things I liked then, the kind of movies I wanted to make or watch are totally different than what I would want to do now. And it could just be something as simple as that. You know, as a director and writer, he just maybe wanted to move past that you know it's kind of like that band that always has the Beatles are a great example it has those good really couple hits and then people just keep wanting to play those hits and they're like we got more we yeah. want to mm-hmm. go in another direction we want to experiment with this style mm-hmm. um, it could could be something like that yeah I mean it, it's similar to that but I also think that Lucas was at a point where he could do whatever he wanted to oh, like yeah, yeah more money and he was actually independent like one of the things that actually happened to Lucas is that he removed himself from the Directors Guild because they didn't like, I guess he was breaking rules from the union and stuff in order to get the Star Wars movies made. And, uh, At the beginning. They're, yeah. You know, they're the cast. It's the first movie where he didn't have the cast in the beginning. Right. So he definitely had independence both creatively to do whatever he wanted. I just don't think he seemed to have an interest in filmmaking in general at that point when he was making the prequels. It yeah. seemed like he did it, well, I had to fulfill this because I said I was going to do this, and he put How him out there. Age could be a factor, too. Yeah, he was just probably in his 50s and 60s when he you did know, the prequels. It's funny, though. a lot, making a movie of that caliber. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's funny that he doesn't have the cast in the beginning of the movie. No movies start out that way anymore. There yeah. is Any big movie does not start off of a cast list. They just yeah. start, they go with the title of the movie, if that. And they just go right into the movie. And then, they, at the end, they have like maybe a title sequence at the end. 
and then they go into the scrolling yeah. sequence. So I guess you have to have two times where your name is predominantly displayed. But you don't you don't see any big movies now that start off with a except for James Bond, which is kind of built in. That's because yeah. they always have that you know yeah they have that it's part of the, song that yeah. starts yeah. it all off yeah. yeah. And they, you know, I like these tropes that Star Wars and James Bond have, like the, the things that you expect when you go to see sure. the movie. I like when they yeah. retain that. But no one that would be an actor in a Star Wars film would ever, well, <laughs> why don't you just scroll my name up? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Says Lucasfilm, and then uh, Daisy Ridley right after that. No, uh, everybody knows the deal when you sign up for Star Wars. Now. Yeah. And, I mean, really, does it really doesn't matter. Like, if you're making a movie of like Star Wars or this giant mm-hmm. you know, empire of a, of a movie, really, I mean, with the merchandising and the marketing, people are going to know you're in it. Yeah, it's only yeah. You know, like, I remember in the 90s, Natalie Portman's Queen Amidalia face was on a Pepsi can. Yeah. I mean, goodness gracious. I didn't need to see her name twice in the movie. I knew she was Queen Amidalia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's no lack of promotion for Star Wars, that's yeah. for sure. Anytime. You did get a bump. Everybody that's in a new one. I mean, there's even, like, probably Natalie Portman dolls, Queen Amidalia dolls that mm-hmm. were in existence. Yeah. I mean, come on. How many people can say they have a <laughs> Right. Well, you know, being being in these movies didn't guarantee you success. Really. Yeah. <laughs> Harrison Ford was the only one yeah, of them. Right, 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 yeah. And on that note, one of the things that's been a pleasant surprise for me in recent recently is how Harrison Ford has embraced Han Solo again because in previous interviews up to this point, Harrison Ford was kind of dismissive of Han Solo. He didn't really respect the character, he didn't find him that interesting. He always preferred Indiana Jones to, Her- to, to Han Solo. And I've always loved both characters. Yeah. And Han Solo, I think, is amazing. And now it seems like he's like, okay, now I get it. Now I see why people love this character. And I'll be honest with you, there is a lot of Harrison Ford in Han Solo, whether he realizes it or not. Yeah. I see so much of Han Solo and Harrison Ford in interviews. Obviously a little more eloquent, a little more refined. But that cynical, sarcastic, in a great way, uh, those elements are, are definitely from Harrison Ford. It was just denial. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Well, it's also it could also be too. Going back to what I just said, sometimes when you you're so known for being a certain character, you get tired of that. Just it, it's exactly why um, some of the guys that play James Bond, they're like, I'm, like Daniel Craig. He's like, I'm done after that. I don't want to be right. Bond anymore. Yeah. I want to be someone else. And you know, I mean, how many years over? 30-some years now, Harrison Ford is, you're Han Solo, Han Solo. He's probably to the point where, yeah, but I was Indiana Jones, and I was these other great guys, too. Right. Well, no doubt people remind him as Indiana Jones, too, and that's a a unique position to be in when you're... That's a good character to fall back on. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But I mean, sometimes, you know, it's kind of as simple as that. Just like, you know, you think that was one of his first movies, maybe in his mind he feels like he's done better, and that that's... You know, a stepping stone, even though it really was... I'm sure he wants people to focus, like, look, I was in Witness, where I played this Amish yeah. farmer, and I was nominated for an Oscar, yeah. and I, I, you know, I was in these Clancy movies, mm-hmm. and the Fugitive, which, obviously, he's made a lot of classic movies over the course yeah. of time. Blade Runner has its own cult following, yeah. which is rabid. Um, a lot of people consider that, like, one of the greatest science fiction movies ever made. So, Harrison Ford had a, has had an incredible run. But those two characters, I think, are always going to be what he's going to be remembered for, Indiana Jones and Han Solo. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, just, absolutely. And now it seems like he's finally coming to terms with that. Yes, he is. That's what I love but about that's it. that's probably why he was a little, I don't want to say resentful, but a little annoyed by it, just because 
he, in his mind, he's probably like, I was up for an Academy Award, and I found these roles and that role. Why do these people so care about Han Solo? He feels like he's moved on. Right. Um, but when, you, when you're such an iconic character like that, you just can't move on. You are that character. And that's just the way it is. So you guys are lukewarm on this movie? <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, yeah, that's a good point. Like, uh, I still think this particular film, A New Hope, holds up really well. Like, and I think there's such a great amount of charm and personality to the movie. I think there's something about watching teams get together and mm -hmm. fight evil or fight a threat that is so appealing to people. Watching a, a, an eclectic cluster of different characters get together it's worked in a variety of different things i hate it's a weird comparison but scooby-doo is kind of that thing people love watching teams <laughs> yeah. fight well because everybody evil. can identify with one of the characters yeah you, you know it's it's just it's it's cool mm -hmm. it's relatable it's something i think everybody kind of secretly wants you know mm -hmm. oh it is you know it's 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 that i think that's one of the core elements of it mm -hmm. And the relationship, I, I think watching, really one of the highlights of watching A New Hope for me is watching Han, Leia, and Luke get together as that team in the Death Star, and they're trying to find a way to get out, and that's like, okay, this feels like home to me. This is where these characters belong. This, yeah. is, this is Star Wars, the heart of it for me. As someone who saw this movie for the first time a month ago in 2015, I can definitely say that it holds up for certain. I mean, over that length of time, and I'm sure it will continue to go forward, you know, to, to hold up and be just as great of a, I don't know, legacy, if you will. Yeah. Because really, that's what it is. It's timeless. It'll, yeah. it'll, it'll always be Absolutely. timeless. Absolutely. And for the same reasons that, you, that Sean just listed, it'll always be that way. Whenever you have a great story and great mm -hmm. characters, it doesn't matter. Like The Wizard of Oz, great example. You have great story and great characters. Everything else is just, you know, doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. But yeah, I I agree exactly. I think it's gonna be. Uh, I, I think it's just gonna like any of the great movies that there are. Should say The Wizard of Oz, Casablanca, Star Wars, Godfather. Um, those are the type of movies I like. I, I don't know about you guys. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> you're uh, you're a you're a fringe guy. Right there. Yeah, exactly. That's, those those movies I think there. are good. I, I, Cramp, Krampus, Krampus, <laughs> Gremlins, yeah. you know. Gremlins, and, uh, and and Santa Claus the movie. I think are the. the <laughs> I think that's the top ten. But yeah, I think <laughs> forever. This no, not who uses forever. Taste can change, but this is you know this is like Beethoven's you know. The movie Beethoven, you know, it's going to live on <laughs> oh forever. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so it's a, it's a four-star movie to me, for sure, forever. And uh, as we always end, we're going to let you know where you can find these movies on Blu-ray, which I think is, outside of watching it in a live movie theater, it's probably the best way you can watch these movies in a home yeah. video. Uh, in 2011, the entire, the first six films were released as a set, and you could buy them individually as both the prequels and uh, the original trilogy. Uh, I'd, I'd recommend if you're, if you love Star Wars enough to buy the original box set, because they have a lot of great special features that are scattered throughout and commentaries on each film. Like, they'll have the commentary of just Lucas and a handful of people that helped create it, and then they'll have sound bites from everybody involved with the movie on a second track that goes into all their takes yeah. on everything. And it's I, I'm a geek for that stuff, and I, I think it's well worth your time. Yeah. So uh, go ahead and check out. You can probably find it on Amazon somewhere. And I want to thank uh, Josh for joining us today. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me. 
Absolutely. Yeah, anytime you want to talk about Star Wars, or yeah. I think we'll have, we'll have you having it back. What's your favorite quote in Star Wars? Uh, from this one, mm-hmm. um, it would probably have to be uh, about Tashi Station. There you go. Because I, that, at that point, you knew exactly what Luke was about. <laughs> <laughs> you do. You do. Well, that about wraps up for us. Uh, thanks a lot, everyone, for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time. Yeah, take care. He doesn't like you. I'm sorry. I don't like you either. You just watch yourself. We're wanted men. I have the death sentence on 12 systems. I'll be careful. You'll be dead!